finish line. In comes Nolan Foot, slides it across left for Newman, and just gone! Welcome to the first edition of the Elite Prospects podcast. My name is J.D. Burke. I am the editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects and Elite Prospects Rinkside, the editorial component of Elite Prospects. And joining me, the co-host of the Elite Prospects podcast, is none other than TSN Hockey's Craig Button, the director of scouting, someone who I've had the pleasure of meeting this year on many occasions going to ranks, somebody who I respect a great deal for the work that they've done, uh, not only as a scout, but as a mentor. And we're going to be bringing that work to you via audio twice a month, talking about the league, their prospects, and getting some insight from some of the best voices in the industry. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm great, JD, and I'm really looking forward to doing the podcast with you. I mean, uh, you put in uh, the tremendous amount of work that's necessary to know these players and talk about them. Uh, we're going to have lots of agreements, but I'm sure we're going to have some areas that we uh, disagree a little bit uh, on, and that's good. That's healthy. That's, uh, that's a normal part of the scouting process to go back and forth and listen to people you respect and then try to go, okay, that's a good point. I didn't see it, but you know, and, and, and then build the dossier on the players. So we want to offer that to everybody listening, but it's going to be fun. Yeah. And, and that's how you really learn in the, this industry I find, right. Is it's something we do in the elite prospects Slack, which is our group chat. We kind of, we have a scouts channel and we'll just run an idea by somebody. We'll go, Hey, I, for example, Brock Faber was somebody I was watching a lot early in the year, uh, us NTDP de- uh, defenseman. And I would just say to the group, I've got to read on this player. What do you think? And I think, like you said, that some of the most intelligent discourse arrives from these disagreements, arrives from exposing some of your ideas about these players to a wider range of voices, a wider range of perspectives. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that part of the show. And I think that our audience is going to really appreciate that as well. Certainly, I hope that's the case. Uh, That's sort of the driving force behind this idea. And you know what? It's interesting that we talk about the disagreements and how they can kind of inform uh, perhaps a wider analysis of the draft of drafted prospects. Uh, we're starting off with a pretty hotly contested one in Tim Stutzla, who is number eight on elite prospects board, uh, number two on yours. And you know what? I almost felt a little bit guilty by the end of the conversation. Uh, such a enthusiastic, uh, you know, well, well-rounded kid. I almost felt compelled to move him up just by the end of that interview. But I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say, really looking forward to sharing that with our audience. You know, I I kind of feel like something you said when we were talking about doing this show was the European players perhaps don't get as much coverage as they deserve, particularly when you look at the scope of the draft and the way that they're starting to uh, become front and center. And we can start to kind of bring that perspective and hear from voices who might not otherwise have that opportunity. And I think Tim Stutzla, he does a great job breaking down how things are going in Germany, what the process has been like, and what he expects from himself going forward as he transitions to the NHL. Well, you know, there's no question about it. And, you know, when we uh, make contact with Tim, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great to hear him talk about his experiences and for the listeners to be able to dial into what uh, he has to uh, what he has to say about his expectations and about where he sees himself. Yeah, no kidding. So why don't we go ahead and get straight to that interview? He stayed with us for about 20 minutes, some really great answers therein, some really great insights into how he kind of came to the game of hockey. And you know what? I'll stop rambling about it. Now's your chance to listen to Tim Stutzla, the Adler Mannheim winger, 
who is ranked number two in the Elite Prospects Consolidated Rankings. And now joining the program all the way over from Germany is Tim Stutzla, the presumptive second or third overall pick. He is second on Craig Button's board. He's eight on Elite Prospects ranking. Tim, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being here. Thanks. Oh, no worries. Thanks so much for your time. I guess where we'll start is, and this is because it dominates the discourse at large, is how has your life as a hockey player, somebody training in the offseason, getting ready for your NHL draft, how have things changed for you as a result of the pandemic? Have they changed? Have they not? What's What are things like for you in Germany right now? Yeah, I think it's, it's very good in Germany right now. We are able to practice in the rink again. Uh, right now we have ice already for one week. Uh, so that's great. We are allowed to train with the guys, but uh, yeah, we have like a concept um, to yeah, we need to wear a mask in the arena when we get in and all the stuff. So uh, yeah, and with disinfection is uh, also we need to disinfect everything. Uh, but I think we are, everybody's just happy to train again, be back with the boys, and uh, just enjoying <laughs> your time in the dressing room and in the red room, and for sure on the ice. Yeah, well, Tim, it's interesting because the the German league, the DEL, has announced that you know the schedule has been pushed back a little bit. So, so what have you been told by Mannheim? What have you been told by your national federation uh, about just the delay of the schedule? Because the NHL schedule is is December first. You know, as you start to prepare, you know, to play, you know, how how, how is that making you feel and your teammates? Yeah, I mean, we can't change anything right now, so we just need to see the positive things, I think. But, uh, yeah, definitely, like, uh, what's called in Germany right now, I think it's, uh, we're going to start mid-November. That's what they want to do. So, but, uh, yeah, they're just going to play with with fans in the arena, so they're not going to play without fans because of the money. So that's what's been said. That's what's been said. But uh, yeah, we need to see what the what the league is gonna say if uh, how many fans are allowed to go into the arena, because otherwise I think many teams can't handle that. So that there are no fans in there. And would you give any consideration to signing perhaps in Sweden a league that, while it does play, for example, largely to gate revenue as a as a means of operating, it also has some TV agreements. It also has things like Seymour uh, that allow for the league to generate revenue without fans. Would you consider going over to Sweden or Liga or something to that effect, or would that be a breach of your contract? Yeah, I have two more years in Mannheim, so uh, I can't sign anywhere else. And I'm very happy in Mannheim, but for sure I want to play as fast as I can so uh, to get in game shape. But uh, yeah, I, right now I can't yeah, can't say anything because of the yeah because of COVID, and uh, nobody knows when the season's gonna start over there or in Germany. So yeah, and, and that's true of everywhere, Tim. And and what I would say to you about Mannheim. You're in a great spot. You, yeah, you, you, you know, how we talk about development models and, you know, I mean, you look at where you're at today, but it goes back three and four and five years ago with the development model. So let me just ask you about that. You know, when, when you feel as a young player that you have the development and the support around you, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, skill coaches and everything, like you, you come from a significant, not just you, I, when I say about your country a sporting culture that's got excellence how important is that for you as an athlete to have that support around you in Mannheim yeah I mean for me it was unreal experience playing for Mannheim I think it's definitely the best organization in Germany 100 percent 
Uh, they're playing at the top level every year. So uh, also the under 20 team, uh, I think they won like 18 championships right now. Uh, great coaches and with school and all the stuff that you can compare and uh, do both together. I think that was best for me. And uh, yeah, playing with pro, with the pro team, I had great coaches with Pavel and Pellas. So uh, that was a lot of fun too, but just learning from veterans, from Ben Smith, Andrew Dujardin, David Wolf and all the stuff. We have been already overseas. I mean, that was just unbelievable for me. And uh, I love being around with them and I'm enjoying the time right now as well. So uh, yeah, being back on the ice with them, learn from them every day. I think I can still learn a lot from them. <laughs> and uh, yeah doing extra work so uh, it's going out pretty well i would say and that legacy that that adler Mannheim has i mean you talked about the success that they've had at the junior level you talk about how successful they are uh at the deutsche elite league level as well what does it mean to have an organization that you've seen develop NHLers already? Like you can look to a Leon Dreisaitl who was a part of Adler Mannheim's system. You can look to a Moritz Sider. You can conceptualize, you can visualize yourself in their shoes, having walked that same path, having played in the same arena with the same fans. What does that mean for you? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's, uh, it was a great experience playing in front of their fans. Uh, I think they are the best friends in Germany, so they're very loud during the games and all this stuff, and they're really supporting us. Uh, yeah, but definitely, Mo is in, in Manheim right now training with us again, so that's a lot of fun too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Leon played for the under-20 team and uh, already trained under the same coach like I did. And I just heard a lot of good things of him, and uh, he was a, or is still a very, very good player, like I heard. So, um, yeah, for me, it was an unexpected. I think the best decision I ever made to, to play in Mannheim. And I think you can see the development from young players. Uh, many young players get that, get their chances in the top level. I think that's not, not for sure. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that is something Mannheim is doing very, very good, working with young guys. Two questions, Tim. Okay, so uh, you're six hours ahead of uh, Eastern time in uh, in North America with the NHL game. So, you know, Carolina, New York Rangers have started at six o'clock in Germany, or well, now it's seven o'clock, right? But tonight, which will be tomorrow morning, you, you got to get up at 4.30 in the morning to watch the Edmonton Oilers. So will you be doing that, number one, to watch game two? And number two, have you been watching the NHL games and what are your thoughts watching uh, the return to play uh, in the NHL? Yeah, for sure. Like when there are games uh, in, yeah, I can watch when they're at my time, like 6 p.m. German time, <laughs> I definitely watch them. Or 8 p.m. German time, I am able to watch them. But I think 4.30 in the morning today, <laughs> when I have practice tomorrow, I think I'm not able to watch them. But, uh, yeah, you got to sure, record those games. Highlights. I'm watching the highlights and all the stuff. So, uh, yeah. And sometimes I watch the shifts from the, from the, from McDavid and Dreisaitl. I think that's a lot of fun watching them too. Uh, yeah, but for sure I try to watch as much NHL as I can. So just to, yeah, I really love seeing hockey again right now. And I think it's great for the world that we have sports and TV right now and uh, just can watch a little bit hockey. And I think it's going to be very, very tough and uh, very good Stanley Cup qualifiers already and uh, hopefully great playoffs to, to see. And I, I think it's great uh, that they're able to play again also without fans. So I think that's the most important. 
And have you been in touch with many NHL teams? Like one of the things that we've heard over on, on this side of the Atlantic is just how much of the, the draft interview process has become, uh, you know, happens over Zoom, happens over Google Hangout. Have you had more meetings uh, since the pause of the season as a result of that? And, and what has that process been like for you? I'm sure that's uh, got to feel a little bit different, you know, rather than going to the combine, having all these teams reach out to you. Yeah, I, I've been talking to a lot of teams, uh, but for me, I think it's always a lot of fun. You just need to be yourself. And uh, yeah, I'm always a guy who's kind of funny, I would say. So I have a lot of fun at those interviews as well. So I just enjoy that. And uh, I like, like talking to the teams and listen to something new. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, what's not funny is how serious you play the game and you play the game with like not, not only high skill, Tim, and, uh, you know, it's not anything you don't know, but also I, I just love your approach to the game. You, a lot of players kind of want to feel their way into the game. I mean, it seems that when the puck drops, it's like, I'm here. What are you going to do to stop me? You know, where does, you know, is that something you've developed, uh, you, you know, that idea that just, hey, I, I'm confident. I know Ben Smith. Uh, had said, you know, when he was told you're going to play with him, he said, oh, a young guy. And he said it, he, he learned real quick how good you were going to be for him. And, uh, you know, everybody was talking about how good he was going to be for you. But he talked about how good you've been for him. You know, you know that, that ability to just go and play, and, and, you know, whether it be in the DEL, whether it be at the World Junior Championships, wherever, you have that quality. It's, and it's not common. It's unique. Yeah, thank you, first of all. I think, uh, yeah, like I'm a guy who always want to be a leader on the ice and uh, play shift by shift 100%. So, and I think the most important is I hate to lose in any kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really, really hate to lose. So all, also if you just play soccer with the team, like five on five or whatever, I hate to lose. And then everybody's coming to me when I'm losing, like loser, loser, loser. And that, yeah, I hate that. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, playing with Benny, I think I learned a lot from him. Uh, also, just play my game, play creative. I think they really make it really easy for me. So I had a very good start in the Champions Hockey League, had a lot of confidence from there. So that helped me a lot as well, I think. But just like Hope Powell teach me, just play my game and just play you how you are and go one-on-one, -on -one, shoot the puck. I think that was very important for me too. And uh, I really had a lot of confidence from, from the beginning. So because the boys were so nice to me from right from the start and just get me into known to the families and all the stuff, the kids, the wives. So that was just great for me. And I think, uh, yeah, that helped me a lot during the season. Bit of a two-part follow-up question here. Is there somebody who you kind of look up to as an NHL or somebody as an example setter for you? I mean, perhaps Leon Dreisaitl is that guy because of the experience that he had and how you're kind of following in his footsteps to a certain extent. But what about somebody who you model your game after? Somebody who, when you watch them play in the NHL, you say, I've seen that before and, and I've done that before. This is how I want to play the game of hockey. Somebody that you try to model yourself after. Yeah, I think there are so many great players in the NHL, but definitely as a German a guy, I need to go with Leon there too. Played an unreal season already. And uh, yeah, Conor McDavid is a guy uh, I really look up to, but also Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, I think very, very good players. You can learn a lot from them just watching them. And uh, yeah, I think uh, 
I heard a lot from my teammates. They always said Patrick came to me, so that was very funny. But for me, it's always tough to compare myself to a player because I think I'm still very, very far away from them and still need to work a lot on them. You know what's interesting, Tim, what I would say to you, and I tell this to all young players, do what you do best. Do what your game is. And I think you talked about the encouragement you get playing, you know, in Mannheim and everything that goes with this. But, you know, you know, German hockey, you know, with Leon Dreisaitl, leading scorer, most valuable player, one of the very best players in the NHL, obviously. You know, Sider gets drafted. Dominic Bach gets drafted. You know, you look at yourself and Paterka and Reichel. You know, like as a German player now, and, and, and you're, you're competing. I mean, you're competing at the world junior level. You're competing in the U18 at the A level. How proud are you of everything that's happening in German hockey and knowing that you, along with some significant others, are going to be a big part of the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just great for German hockey. I think we developed a lot during the couple of years after Bocky got drafted, Mo got drafted. I think they really are good kids off the ice as well. So that's something special, I think, too. So uh, if you're a good guy off the ice, it, it helped a lot. And uh, being a good guy for young kids and show them the way, how it's going, I think that's very important, too, that you need to work hard. And I think those, those guys are really good, good kind of persons. And, uh, yeah, I think with Luki, JJ, and me, I think we really, yeah, showed that we can hold up to the big nations at the World Championship with the, with the guys. And we had a great team. Everybody was good with each other. So we had a lot of fun. But at the end, I think, uh, yeah, we needed to get in the quarterfinal. I think uh, with a little bit more luck, that would be definitely could happen. But I think we showed off and uh, really showed the, the world that we can hold up to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, we were a very, very young team. So we had a lot of O2s or ones on our team. So I think in the next couple of years, we can yeah, really, really show off again. And it was just an amazing, uh, yeah, amazing, I would say, uh, experience for us. Well, just quickly on that, uh, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, this is a good example with the NHL and hopefully the World Junior Tournament takes place in Edmonton this year. I, I think a good host for the German team would be Leon Dreisaitl. What do you think? I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, he showed up in year to every game in the NHL. He's uh, a great example for young kids as well. So uh, I think in Germany, very, very many guys look up to him and just want to be as him. So, uh, yeah, he already texted me, like, wishing me good luck and all the best for the draft. And I think it was something special for me as well. And uh, we kind of texted a little bit and it was a lot of fun for me and a great experience. So I think that's not normal as a guy at Leon is too, that he's just text texting a young guy, wishing him all the best. I mean, uh, he's the, one of the best NHL players already. And I'm like, just playing in the DL and uh, young kids. So that's something special for me, definitely. And uh, yeah, I think Leon is, is yeah, a very, very, very good player. And I think we'll have a lot of fun watching in the future. Was there ever a moment for you growing up in the game of hockey where you kind of had that realization that you could be something special? Was there a moment, because of something I've heard from a lot of people within German hockey is how a lot of kids have to make the decision at some point in their teen years between, are they going to play soccer or are they going to play hockey? Uh, did you ever have to make that decision? Uh, what sort of drove you to hockey? And when did you realize, hey, I can do something really special here. I can be a top five pick in the NHL draft. Yeah, I, I played 
soccer until I was 11, 12. So I think I was very good. I got an offer from a Bundesliga team. So from uh, so I, I think I was yeah good at soccer as well. But at the end, I had most of my best friends I had in hockey. And I had most of my fun in hockey. So being around with the boys the whole day. And there was a lot of fun for me. So for me, in the end, I think it was an easy decision staying in hockey. And then when the change came to Mannheim, I really realized that I can, yeah, can, can be a very, very good player. And uh, yeah, I really realized that I can be in the first round after the season right now in Mannheim. I think my, my goal was to get drafted as high as possible. And I think right now I'm yeah, in a really good spot and uh, hope the best for sure. So, uh, but I think playing in Mannheim, I think was the best decision I made. And uh, I really learned a lot and uh, I can still learn a lot from the guys. And is there kind of like a favorite NHL team that you would like to go to? I know that a lot of draft eligible players hate this question, but if you say like, for example, Chicago and Chicago hears that they're going to go wild. So is there a team that you prefer as a landing spot? I mean, I think as a player, I, I can't really prefer something. I mean, I'm just happy to get drafted and I would play my best game for every team. So uh, that doesn't matter for me. So I'm, it's just a big honor for me to to be ranked right now that high and uh, hopefully I'm going to go that high and hopefully everything is going well. So in the end, I think it doesn't really matter to which team you go. Not That's only, the not that all only, the teams yeah. are going to like. Not, very, very <laughs> smart answer, Tim. Very yeah. smart answer. You didn't take right? the bait. Well, there's only one team that can draft you, right? And, and that's out of your control. They're the ones that have yeah. to that make that decision. And you know what? I know this, though. I, uh, th there's lots of teams that want you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And uh, do you have an indication, like we've seen in the public rankings, for example, that a lot of people have you in the top two, top three. You know, some prospects I speak to, they have a pretty good read on where they expect to go in the draft. Do you, are you expecting to go that high? Yeah, for sure. that's, that's my goal. I mean, that was my goal from my beginning of the season to get drafted as high as possible. But at the end, it's not on me, it's on the team. So uh, I can just play my best hockey and try my best and work hard every day to get better. And at the end, it's on the teams. But uh, yeah, for sure, I hope to get drafted as high as, as possible. I'm going to share a story with you, Tim, and I love to tell it at, at the draft. And you may know the player, you may not. His name is Tuomo Rutu, and he ended up being drafted. He's an assistant coach. Uh, he works with the New York Rangers, and he's a, he works with uh, the Finland junior team and the national team. Just a, a wonderful guy. He was rated high. Him and Miko Koivu were in the same draft. And he was rated very high, and he was getting pressed by an NHL team. What happens if you don't get drafted high? He goes, well, that's not my choice. You know, oh, come on. You'll be disappointed if you don't go in the top 10. He goes, no. And so they kept pressing him. He says, so what happens if you get drafted by the 30th team? Are you not going to be happy? He said, well, that means the Stanley Cup champion drafted me. <laughs> Which was the perfect answer. Like, Tumo just handled it perfectly. They were trying to press him. And he said, hey, I can't control that. And you can't control that. You've yeah. done everything you've, you've been able to do on the ice. You've shown everything you can. And when your name gets called, it's going to be a great day. You're going to be so excited and your family and friends are going to be excited. And, you know, your future is incredibly bright. It really is, Tim. And, you know, when, when, when we, we can talk about Germany, but personally, you know, your, your future is bright. The NHL is uh, going to benefit from the skill and the creativity and the enthusiasm you have for the game. Thank you very much.
Now, I have one more question for you here, Tim, and this one's a little bit more lighthearted, and I, I warned Craig that I was going to ask this too. I can see him rolling his eyes a bit there. No, I'm, no, I'm not rolling Craig. my eyes. I, I'm just giving you a hard time. But no, there seems to be a developing tradition of German players in the first round wearing a bow tie to the draft. And I didn't realize this was a tradition until, so Dominic Bach did it. And then Moritz Seider did it last year, and, and he got asked about it. He said it is a new developing tradition in Germany. It's going to be virtual, but will you wear a bow tie? Yeah, Mo already came to me and said, you need to wear that. So uh, I can't do anything <laughs> against it, I think. Uh, so for sure, I'm going to wear it. So do you know who else is sporting a bow tie these days, too, and wears a bow tie? I think you. <laughs> no, not me. Not <laughs> Quentin, Quentin Byfield. You know, I, I started to call him Quentin Bowtie Byfield. So we might have to have, you might become Tim Bowtie. <laughs> the Bowtie battle at second yeah. overall right yeah. there. <laughs> well, Tim, we really appreciate you taking the time to join the program. And we really appreciate how graceful you've been with your time as well. Uh, really looking forward to seeing where you go in the draft, seeing where your career takes you. Obviously, you've got an incredibly bright future and, I uh, just want to wish you the best of luck in these these very, you know, not to sound, uh, not to repeat what everyone else is saying, but these very uncertain times, right? Look forward to seeing where you go in the draft in October and wishing you the best with your NHL career. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And stay healthy, everybody, and have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, same to you and your family and friends. Yes, Thank likewise. You. What a great chat with Tim Stutzla. I mean, the funny thing, and you talked about this a little bit off the air, Craig, is the way that hockey in, in Germany appears to be more of kind of a blue-collar sport, which is interesting. It's, it's a bit of the exact opposite of what we've come to expect of hockey in North America with the boundaries that come with uh, just how expensive it is and all of that. And and what I find when I talk to a lot of these German kids, whether it was Dominic Bach earlier in the year for an article that I wrote on Rinkside, or Moritz Sider at last year's draft is just how humble they are, how humble they are and how they kind of uh, blend that with a sense of confidence. It's just a perfect balance, it seems. And they've got the best head on their shoulders. I mean, really, just you wouldn't take the bait on which team he wants to go to. You seem to have all the right answers. I bet you this kid is just killing it during the NHL interview process. Yeah, you know what's fascinating for me and over the years, uh, you know, when we talked during the introduction, you know, one of the things is, is in all my years, meeting players, talking to players, I, I, I can't really think of a player, uh, honestly, that, that you didn't like and you didn't root for. And I think one of the, one of the most difficult things in, in evaluating players and then ranking them, putting a number beside them, is that, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, geez, I, can I put them higher because I like them? But, you know, that's what you're dealing with with a lot of players. Now, we talk about humility uh, that Tim Stutzler was talking about. And Scotty Bowman, in his book, Scotty, which was written by Ken Dryden, talked about the Swedish players. And he said, the Swedish players come over, they play, they're dependable, they're reliable, they're good players, and they go about their lives. And, and, and I think that when you're moving into uh, – what I would call a hockey culture, and certainly uh, Canada and, and North America has has that really kind of embedded hockey culture in, 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 the, in the regions that hockey is prevalent. You know, when you come from outside of that, even though you have your own culture, you know, there's, there's this respect. Hey, 
that's uh, th th that's really kind of a, a place where hockey really takes a prominence. And it would probably be the same uh, if a North American kid went over to Germany, were so a soccer player, and you know wanted to play uh, soccer over there. There'd be kind of that deference to a hockey, a soccer nation that's been a championship soccer nation that runs uh, passionately through uh, everybody in the country. So I think that humility, uh, you know, comes through not only because of who they are, but also because, you know, the respect they have for hockey outside of what we could call non-traditional markets. Do you think that we're going to see a bit of a sea change in the NHL with regards to what defines a good character player and a bad character player? Uh, I couldn't help but have a light bulb go off while you were having that discussion about uh, the way that, that they bring a different perspective to our hockey market and a kind of deference towards uh, what we view as the traditional hockey mindset. Can you anticipate a scenario where we see people like Tim Stutzla rather than the, the saber brandishing sort of leaders of yesteryear kind of taking prominence in hockey lore and kind of ascending to a place where instead of valuing the people who are constantly yelling on the bench or, or you know, giving the, the very verbose locker room speech, we're, we're seeing players who lead by example kind of take that place. And I think of Vancouver, of course, because that's where uh, I'm based out of. And I think of Henrik Sedin. I think that he was one instance of that. But certainly he was the exception, not the rule. Do you think with the way we're seeing more and more Europeans, more players from non-traditional hockey markets who come over and they do their job, they do it exceptionally well, and they don't make a lot of noise for the trouble, do you think that's the future of what leadership looks like in the NHL? I'm not sure, uh, but what I would say to you is this, you know, to me, leadership is, you know, uh, individuals in any industry uh, that lead themselves to be the best they can be. I, I, I've told young players this all the time, and I use this as the pat line. You cannot be a leader of others until you're a leader of yourself. So, so what does that mean? That means that, okay, are you dependable? Are you reliable? Are you a are you a, are you a person in this case a player that will be responsible? That you know when you're sitting down getting ready for a game, your teammates all look at you and go, "That's a player I can count on." You know, I, I'm a big believer that still waters run deep, and if you're going to judge uh, people by you know a, a, an outgoing, boisterous nature and think that that's uh, leadership. I, I don't see that as leadership. I, I want the player and th that's reliable, that's dependable, that's good, that gives everything that he has of himself. And, you know, you talk about Henrik Sedin. So let's just go to Henrik Sedin. And I watched Henrik from the time he was 15, along with his brother, Daniel. And I, I used to hear things about, oh, yeah, the, the different comments about Henrik and Daniel Sedin. I know this. In all the games I watched them, you know, as they were younger, you know, they're playing up age groups. They might not have been as strong. They might not have been as capable physically, but they never allowed themselves to be, you know, to give up, to, to be pushed out of a game. They might not have been quite strong enough, but they were always in the battle. They were always in the fight. And, you know, I, I do that when I watch young players. You know, let's just take an example. I'll take a, you watch a five foot, eight 155 pound player uh playing junior hockey and you know he's not strong enough yet to do some things and to take on other players right but you know 
you, what you watch for is he going to attack? Is he going to stick into the into the fight on the puck? Is he going to stick into the battle for a space? Is he going to try to earn space? And then you can project and say, okay, if he becomes stronger as he physically matures, you know what? He's going to be able to take greater advantage of it. Instead of the flip side of that, J.D., where I see a lot, and in my scouting experience in the NHL, oh, look at him, he got pushed off the puck. Yeah, okay, but 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 he but he, he fought. He he dug in there and he was in the fight, and that's what I look for in players. And so I think the idea that you know there's one brand of leadership or there's only one type of nationality that can be leaders, I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I think the game is becoming more and more global. And for those that don't want to look at leadership uh, in, in, in all its essential forms and all its different forms and just look at it in one form, oh boy, oh boy, are they being left behind and they'll be left behind in a big way. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, the hockey world is passing that sort of mindset by. And you know what, just just shifting gears a little bit back to Tim Stutzla, the player, and, and we kind of teased this a little bit in the intro, some of the disagreements we might have over the course of this podcast. Uh, you were one of the early adopters of, of Tim Stutzla. You really found yourself ingratiated towards his game a little bit earlier than I think the consensus did. And I think back to where you rated him ahead of the world juniors, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this front, but I believe you had him as high as third overall uh, already before that tournament, which I would kind of consider to be his landmark moment of his draft eligible season. Uh, what was it that sort of gave you the indication that he was an elite, elite talent, the type that could challenge a Quinton Byfield and eventually overtake him as he finished number two overall on your final draft ranking in June? So, so, so one thing I want to qualify here too, and before I get specifically to Tim, is is that like I don't think I think too much of the time, JD, there's a rush sometimes to say this player will be great or this is going to be the number one overall pick in two years time you know what people ask me all the time you know oh what do you think is Shane Wright the leading candidate be the first overall pick in 2022 I said well I've watched Shane Wright play he's really good I would suggest that he's going to be right in the in the hunt for first overall based on how talented he is but I haven't seen the vast majority of players that are going to be in his draft year. So you, unless it's Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, where you can put the stamp down and go, yeah, that's the guy. Rarely does that happen. So, you, you know, I think sometimes that we, we, we got to be careful about getting too far ahead of ourselves and, the key is, is continue evaluating and say, hey, I think that guy could be pretty good and, you know, go on from there. Now, with respect to Tim, it's, it, you know, in, in previous years, you, you know who the good players are coming up and you knew he was talented. I'll tell you, there was a tipping point for me early in the season. It was when we did our preseason show on TSN and we talked about Tim Stutzla and Todd Holushko and the Mannheim coaches. We, we were talking to them about Tim and trying to, uh, you know, get some uh, video on him. And they told us, they told me, this kid could, you better not rule him out being the, you know, in the, in the candidacy for first overall pick. And I kind of went, oh, that's interesting. You know, I never thought about him. I never thought about him that way. But like, you know, people that I have respect for, I just said, I better listen. And I did. And now as you watch him, I mean, he started in the Champions League and you're kind of going, oh, that's a pretty good start now. I mean, he wasn't playing a really 
top level team, but he's 17 years old. Then you start to watch him in Mannheim, and now you're starting to go, oh boy. And then you start to see the things he's doing, the 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 brains, the skill. And and one of the words, and, and Ray Ferraro used this word, and 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 it's one that I've globbed onto. He he called them bold. He said he's bold. And that's where I got into the in, into the evaluation of him as kind of like Peter Forsberg. Not, not the style of game of Peter Forsberg, but Peter started the game with the idea, I'm coming after you. And, you know, when we talked to Tim, you know, I'd asked him that. And 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 he talked about he he hates losing, right? And and that's one of the things that 17-year-old kids, you know, playing in a in a pro league, you know, okay, I don't want to make a mistake. I never saw that from Tim. I saw a player that was like, hey, I'm here to play. I'm here to help this team win. Let's go. And, you know, what was along with his skill, along with his thinking and his playmaking and his confidence, you know, it, it led me to say, hey, this is a, a real top player. And, you know, there, there was nothing, nothing over the course of the year uh, that made me think otherwise. You know, what's kind of funny about Tim Stutzla is is we've kind of found ourselves in this corner where we've become the Tim Stutzla doubt, doubters almost at Elite Prospects, which couldn't be further from the truth. What I find interesting about the way that his season progressed was we were one of the first people to put him in the top 10, perhaps not as high as, as third overall, but I think he started the year at number eight overall for us. And, and I think where we kind of find things interesting is that the World Juniors was his launching off point on the, the, the global scale. Uh, stage if you will but we actually thought that John Jason Paterka was the one who really stole the show there I mean that was a heck of a tournament for the German draft eligibles right across the board whether it's JJP whether it's Lucas Reichel and of course Tim Stutzla now one of the reasons that we kind of have a moment for pause with Stutzla and it's something that some of the scouts I spoke with uh, brought up as something of a red flag was we we kind of wonder does he have the fearlessness that willingness to engage contact in the middle of the ice uh, to problem solve against secondary and tertiary uh, variables are those things that he kind of brings to the table already or are those things that need to be uh, developed into his game at the next level as he moves up the ranks uh, where do you kind of stand on that and another thing too to add to that question is we kind of have concerns about overhandling a little bit, keeping play a little too far in front of him and kind of running the risk of losing the puck in transition. These are some of the sort of red flags that we have seen from him. What are your kind of thoughts on those evaluations? Well, I think uh, for me, one of the one of the significant factors in evaluation is identifying what I call developmental flaws and inherent flaws. So when you distinguish between those two areas, so a developmental flaw, you know, an evaluation, you look at, at, at a player and you go, okay, that's a flaw, but can it be developed? Can it be something that we can work with based on the other skills that he has? And, and, and that's where the interviews, that's where you spend time. How th- th- does the player work on things? All those types of things that teams want to find out. And then there's the inherent flaws. So, you know what's what, what what's in, what's inherent that can't be fixed. It's going to be there regardless. It, for me, if you lack hockey sense, it's an inherent flaw. There's just no way you're ever going to overcome it. And there's never been a star player in any league in any sport that lacked hockey sense that was a star. It just can't. Doesn't matter how much skill you have, you can't be a star without that sense of the game. And so. You, you know, the what you describe about Tim, so handling the puck in front of you, okay, you watch that and, and some 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 people are seeing that and going, 
I see that as developmental. You try to help them understand where do you want to have the puck, where do you want to disguise it, and 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 you see that in a lot of different sports. Uh, you know, a quarterback does he does he drop his arm down? A pitcher does he show what pitch he's throwing? You know, doesn't mean that it's uh, that it's something that can be corrected, but it's still to me developmental with coaching. As as for the other part with him in terms of you know attacking through the middle and everything, like you know, like. When I watch Tim play, I see an attacking player. And, you know, he, he's always been a center. And I think that that's another thing, playing left wing this pre, this this past season. I, I thought he showed a real adaptability there. But, you know, I, I think he's one of those players that, you know, whether he plays the wing in the NHL or he plays center, he, he, he's he's adaptable. But, but I also, you know, w- when I hear those – uh, evaluations on him. I, I go back and I think to myself, okay, he moved to the wing. What would that factor in in terms of him? You know, moving from the from the wing into the middle is that a different type of movement for him? It, it would be something that I would evaluate a lot deeper uh, with respect to the team. But I don't see it as something that's inherently flawed. I, I do see a player that is that, that will attack. And I'll tell you another player that that, that, that could have been said that about too. Matt Barzell wanted to hang on to the puck and 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 always play outside because when he was younger, he could break down everybody with his skating in his hands. But as he moved up the levels, it took him a, it took him a little bit of time to learn that. And But boy, I thought he could learn it, and he did learn it. And now you see Matt Barzell is a real top player. But back in his draft year, that was a lot of the same things that you described with Tim that I saw in Matt. Oh, that's a really interesting comparison. I, You know, you hear a lot about Mitch Marner. I think that's the one that people rely on. You hear a lot about Patrick Kane. But now that you mentioned Matt Barzell, a kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, maybe that's the one that we should be leaning on a bit more because even at the NHL level, you, you do suck you do kind of see that from time to time from Barzell or he'll carry the puck around the offensive zone for one, two, three laps before he finds a teammate <laughs> two inches away from the goal line and just, okay, well, that's a goal now. You know what? Uh, we, we shouldn't linger too much on Tim here just because we've got a great conversation with Doug Wilson to get to uh, where we talk about his father's induction to the Hall of Fame. We talk about the San Jose Sharks prospect pool and some of the challenges they face as a team that drafts relatively late in the process and every year. Uh, But one question that I wanted to pose to you, I think that we are guilty as sin on this front where we kind of assume that Tim Stutzla is a winger at the NHL level because, well, we haven't seen much proof of concept to the contrary this year in his Deutsche Elite League season. I mean, he played a little bit of center at the World Juniors. That was a nice little proof of concept, if you will, of what he can do at that position. But, you know, I think about Elias Pettersson, somebody who took maybe a quarter of his shifts down the middle of the ice in his draft minus or sorry, his first year of draft eligibility and even his draft plus one season, he comes to the NHL and he's a top 10 center right off the hop. Can you foresee a scenario where Tim Stutzla is a center at the NHL level? I, I absolutely can because prior to this year, that's that's the position he played. He was always a center and he was a dominant center. And so no question in my mind. And, you know, as you're going up in the pro leagues too, you know, coaches, okay, let's put Elias on the wing. It might be a little bit easier for him to handle, right? Tim, okay, you know, the demands that you want you that, that, that are necessary to play center. Okay, let's ease him in. Let's play him on the wing. And so, but th- there are players uh, that to me, uh, you know, start as a center and you go, okay, I think he might be better as a winger, 
But I definitely can see Tim being a center in the National Hockey League. Now, that being said, now that being said, him being a winger, I don't think detracts from any of his skill level. And, you know, one thing I will say, you know, you know, J.D., you and I have talked about this. I never have a problem with anybody's assessment or evaluation or rankings of players. I always talk about getting players in the right grouping. So, you know, if we have a, a, a debate about players, you know, if we say Tim Stutzler is a top eight player, and here's the, then we can talk about you, you have a reason for having him at eight. You have a reason for having another player at four and another player at six. But, you know, understanding that all these players are in that same grouping and then trying to identify, you know, what you like, what you feel is important to your team, you know, what you favor. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problems ensue if you start bringing in players outside of those groups and trying to make a case for them. I think that that's where mistakes end up getting made in the draft, you know. And I I don't say this negatively. I mean, you know, watching the NHL games, uh, we were talking about Jared Spurgeon. There was a talk about Jared Spurgeon and, you know, small player. And they went through, I think, uh, he's got the eight eighth most games uh, played from that draft year. Well, that draft year had uh, Alex Petrangelo, uh, Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson. But Some okay defensemen. Yeah, but Luke Shen went fifth, and Colton Tubert went 13th. And so all I'm going to say is I know why those guys went at that point of the draft, and I know why Jared Spurgeon went at that point of the draft. That's the key to evaluating is understanding, okay, okay, we really like this, and he might be a little bit more advanced. And you touched on it earlier, J.D., you better be able to look at a 17- or 18-year-old kid and try to look at him where he might be at 21 or 22. Because despite a player being more advanced at 17 or 18, it's not a guarantee that that's going to be that he's going to be good enough to play, let alone be better than other players once they've matured. And what a what a story Jared Spurgeon is just for perseverance as well. I think the New York Islanders didn't even sign him, didn't even sign him to an entry level contract. And what a story that would be if you're a kid like, for example, say a Noel Hoffenmeyer this year, or you know, on the lower end of that spectrum, maybe a Ryan McGregor. Right, just shows that you know what, it might take you a little bit longer than most, but you have a chance to get there as well. You know, somebody who is kind of picked in that lower range too, that would be Doug Wilson. They found some really great uh, players, whether it's Kevin LeBanc, whether it's somebody in the un- undrafted free agent realm, like for example, example uh, Alexi Melnichuk this year, that was a great signing, big fan of that one. Brinson Pasishnuk as well. You know what, why don't we let Doug Wilson tell it himself? We're going to get to that interview on just the other side. And now joining the Elite Prospects podcast is Doug Wilson Jr. He works with the San Jose Sharks. He takes care of the amateur scouting side of things. Doug, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Hockey's back. You know, <laughs> uh, you, said it, you said it off the air and and I, I just need to echo that sentiment. I mean, <laughs> no complaints when there's hockey on the TV. No, I uh, I told you guys off the air, but I'll I'll just say it again. I I was watching hockey and it's just so good to have hockey back. But uh, first exhibition game on TV, my my wife walks in the room and sees me watching the game. And uh, during the national anthem, she she goes, "Are are you crying right now?" And I was like, "I'm just so happy to have hockey back." It's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's you know, in in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not that big of a deal. But you know. Uh, we're, we're just, we love hockey. We're hockey fans at heart. Everyone is. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to watch these games. It's exciting. 
I, I just want to follow up on that hockey back. But before hockey came back, and you know, these would be tears of joy and tears of exhilaration. Your father was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame, long overdue in my view. And like you know, when you when when the news came out, what were your feelings and what were your thoughts? To be totally honest with you, Craig, I, I actually lost it. Um, I, uh, I I can remember maybe three times in my life when I when I just I couldn't really control my emotions, and one of them might have been when hockey came back a few days ago, and one of them was when uh, when my dad called me over and and said he got the call from Lanny, and the second he said the word Lanny, I just in a, in, in tears, and um, you know I'm biased because he's my dad, but he's the greatest person that I know and I've met and he's been an amazing mentor. And, um, you know, for how, for how well he treats other people and for, you know, the things that you see and, and takes care of people. And, um, just to, just to see that he was recognized for something he did, um, that was long overdue in my opinion, but I just so happy for him. And, uh, it was crazy. The day he found out our entire family was together for the first time and we figured it out in six years. It just coincidentally, um, my sister is seven months pregnant and she was in town and the grandkids were here. And my brother-in-law is, uh, the hitting coach for the LA Dodgers. And, uh, he was in town right before he had to leave for the bubble too. So, um, just to have the entire family there to see it, it was one of the most emotional days we've ever had. And, um, I, I'm just so happy for him. Well, you know, you talk about overdue and, uh, you know, I always say this about players that, you know, when they do get that call, th they weren't any less of a Hall of Famer before they got that call. It just now becomes uh, uh, notable for everybody uh, in the hockey world that they have. And, you know, the, uh, th there, there was an irony, not only of your family being together, but it was on June 24th. Your father, yep. your father wore number 24 and it was 24 years since his last game. So, you know, sometimes these, you know, these intersections of coincidence come together as well. But, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, as you talk about your father, I mean, not only a Hall of Fame player, but I mean, he's been a, he's been a Hall of Fame executive in my view. And you talk about a mentor. I mean, you're not only fortunate to have somebody that's a great role model as a as a father and how he treats other people, but Pretty darn lucky to have him as a, as a hockey mentor too, Doug. Uh, it's it's a, amazing. If if my if my two daughters look at me, you know, in a tenth of the way I look at my dad, I would be happy. Yeah. He's just he's such a good person. Uh, I love him to death. So it's been um, you know for him. It, I, I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, rightly so. That's that's such an honor. And and as Craig said, well overdue. I would tend to agree with him on that front. And then to have all the serendipitous uh, coincidences with the the numbers, <laughs> June twenty fourth, twenty four years. I mean, what are the odds? It uh, it reminds me a little bit. And and again, my Vancouver is showing, but of the uh, the Henrik and, and Daniel Sedin, their final game oh, scoring at two thirty three left, and just wow. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the world conspires in pretty special ways. Yes, it does. Now, shifting gears a little bit towards the uh, the prospects, which is is your domain, as I understand it correctly, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the undrafted guys that you've brought into the fold here. Uh, players like Frederick Handemark and, and Alexei Melnichuk out of the KHL. Uh, what did you see in these players and what kind of brought you to the, the bargaining table and what are you kind of hoping from them going forward? Yeah, no, we're excited about them. I mean, 
a, a few years ago, we, we got more into the undrafted uh, free agency perspective, uh, especially from the European side. And it, it's kind of snowballed in a way that, um, you know, we, we bring in certain types of players. Uh, our objective on the scouting side is really just bringing in any players that can help the Sharks win the games. I mean, we don't have any other objectives than that. So it's great that when we go in and sign these players, you know, they know that if they sign with San Jose, they're going to get a legitimate opportunity at the NHL level to compete. And, you know, with Alexi, he's a very good young goalie. He comes from a great program. You know, we've drafted out of SCA recently. Um, you know, he's very athletic and he's very young too. So, you know, for him to be able to work with of getting a block off um, on a day-to-day basis, I think is very, very exciting. I mean, granted, he is still very young. So, you know, we just want to get him over and, and start playing in North America. Um, but Craig, you might have even seen him uh, when he came over for the um, CIBC, uh, or sorry, no, the Subway Series. Right, yeah. He, play, yeah, he yeah. played five games in the Subway Series against some top prospects who are currently playing in the playoffs. So, you know, he's not a new customer to um, North American hockey or to uh, players over here. So just really excited to get him into the fold. Um, and then Freddie... Freddie's older, you know, he's been a captain for four years. He's been the top face-off uh, player in, uh, in Europe, in Sweden for the last four years consistently. You know, he's 6'4", 220, and he's a very, very good teammate. He was actually teammates in Lexon with one of our um, amateur scouts, Ryan Russell, and had nothing but good things to say about him. So the more you talk to him, uh, he's just a very, very good teammate, high character, and what team couldn't use a six foot four centerman, you know, net front guy. So um, we're just excited to get them both over and in, in our system. What about one guy that I, I actually completely blanked on? And that would be Brinson Pasichnok out of uh, the Arizona State <laughs> University. <laughs> Um, I don't know how I glossed over him, but I mean, he's such a mobile offensive defenseman, really plays the game in the modern style. Uh, Is that sort of what your staff saw from from Pasichnuk as well? And and is that what you're expecting him to bring at the next level? Well, I I want Craig to answer this one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what I've watched him since he was in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, right? And and Mm -hmm. I think it's a perfect example. And Doug, you know this as well as anybody. Not every player... player develops at the same rates so you got to continuously watch them you just talked about the free agents you signed so you're watching them you're getting intel on them and i think that's exactly the case here and now he goes to arizona he keeps developing to the point now where you're going he showed some of those things uh previously but now you feel that he's ready that he can take that to the next level and contribute to you point out helping the san jose sharks win so and Oh, by the way, he, he fits in nicely with the Carlson and the Flasic and, you know, yeah. players you already yeah, have no on kidding. your group, right? <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's a great kid. And this is the best thing about hockey, right, is that we get to work with very good people all the time. Uh, you know, Brinson's been a project we've worked on for the last two, three seasons. You know, we would have looked way better if we had drafted him out of Bonneville um, when he had a heck of a draft year. But Brinson, you know, he goes to ASU captain of the of a new ncaa team he's the heartbeat of that club uh, he's recently married he's got a great head on his shoulders just a phenomenal human being when when their season shut down there for a bit he ended up running a, a triathlon just mid-season like he's just that good a shape he's um 5'11, 
208 pounds. You know, he's, he's built similar to redeem Simic type, um, but he can skate. He jumps in the plays. He's mobile. Uh, I think you've noticed in the last, you know, three or four years, we've, we've taken a different turn in how we, uh, you know, draft or acquire certain types of defensemen. And he, he fits that mold really well. I'm, I'm very, very excited about Brinson, both as a human being and a, as a hockey player. Yeah, you should be because he, and, and he's ready to play. Like, you know, yes. he's ready to come in and contribute. Now that, that might not happen in the first 20 games, but, but he's, he's, he's in that space of ready to contribute. Doug, I think that your group in San Jose does a fantastic job with, with respect to understanding, okay, what you're looking for, number one, which is key, then getting after it and, and, and being so open-minded to different types of players. And, and you don't get hung up on whether a player is maybe been passed over in a draft or if he has to go back to, to play an overage year. I think of Kevin LeBanc. I think about Noah Gregor. You know, how important is it you, for you when, you when you focus in on, on players but the development side of things to understand understand that not every player is going to go along the same path but how you support that and remain open-minded because i i think this is how you continuously find players in different parts of the draft that do exactly what your objective is help the san jose sharks be successful yeah i mean you did the same thing in in dallas and it's the sense it all comes down from doug joe will and tim burke you know, they're kind of our trifecta of our, our, our GM, our AHL GM, and, and Berkey is in charge of all player development. So, you know, whenever we get into our meetings and open discussions, it's always a tailored plan specifically for each player. And we try and treat all of them like they were the first pick overall. Um, because, you know, when you draft as late as we do, uh, you know, drafting and development, they have to be in sync. You know, we, we, we have the lowest average draft position in the league, um, you know, in my four drafts, at least and going back for the last 12, 13 under Berkey. And so if we're you know, if we're drafting late, you know, we have to put a huge emphasis on development. So, you know, lucky to have Brian Marchment with our D and Mike Ritu with our forwards and Evgeny Nabokov with our goalies. Um, but you made a good example, like Noah Gregor was not ready to turn pro and he could have just because he's so athletic and um, in phenomenal shape and he's fast, but it, it just wasn't right for him. And, uh, you know, he was very thankful and we sent him back. He went to Prince Albert. He was able to take a leadership role. He kind of had his breakout party at the Memorial cup. You know, he played on the points on the power play. Um, he was able to be that guy on the team, you know, taking the younger kids to movies or, you know, showing them different things without within the league. And, um, you know, we're big believers in the overage season. You saw Kevin LeBanc, you know, Joachim Blitchfeld in Portland, yep. uh, Noah Gregor, you know, we'll make a decision coming up here with Zach Amond, our goalie in Rouen. But it's, it's just another opportunity for these guys to be captains or leaders um, on their teams. Uh, and it's something, you know, I think overage used to have a bad rep to it. Um, you know, there's a reason why you're not turning pro or, you know, you're still looking for a contract, but we, we think it's just another a tool in our toolkit to develop players to play higher end roles and have that confidence. And when you have that level of confidence in your, your drafting and furthermore, your development, does that kind of enable you to take swings that perhaps another franchise might not? And when I say something like this, one of the players that comes to mind, of course, and this is a player who courts a fair amount of controversy fairly or otherwise, and you can perhaps comment on that, is, is somebody like Ryan Merkley who has just phenomenal offensive gifts, might be one of the best distributors in the OHL, even as a defenseman. 
I mean, does that kind of inform that thought process for you? And and where are you at with Ryan Merkley? Because he does kind of fit with that mold of defenseman that we talked about earlier, the Eric Carlson's, the Brinson Pasichnuk's, very uh, modern offensive defenseman who can carry the puck and skate the puck up ice with relative ease. Yeah, I mean, from a draft strategy, and, and Craig knows when you make your list, you make your list. And, and you stick to your list and our list, you know, it's, um, it's different from what the public probably has. It's different from the team at the table to your left and the table to your right, but you, you trust your scouts and you go into the draft with, with your list and, and that's how you do it. You know, our drafting philosophy isn't much different some, from some other teams. I mean, shoot, Craig, you've seen it. I don't think I've walked into a rink where Ross Mahoney wasn't there. Like it's crazy. It's, I mean, these guys. Well, I want to say this, Doug, real quick. You know what Ross Mahoney says to me? He goes, "I don't think I've walked into a rink and I don't see Doug Wilson." <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I, I just I have so much respect for these guys. You know, yeah. Bill Armstrong does a great job. I see him all over the place, and you know, with Ross, Ross is based in Regina, so everywhere he goes, it's a cat and nectar flight. And in the same week, I saw him in. Uh, where did I see him? I saw him in Seattle. I saw him in Ottawa. And then I saw him at a tournament in Finland. I was like, I can get flights out of San Jose. Where are you flying out of from Regina? Like, I don't get this. So he, I mean, these guys work so hard and, you know, everyone's got their own philosophies, but, but to go back to it, you know, when you say taking swings, I mean, we've had the least amount of draft picks in, in my three drafts. And, um, and we probably do going forward after this fourth draft. So, you know, we just put in as much effort and, and time as we can to take the best player for the Sharks. Um, and, and if it happens to be a, a Ryan Merkley who who slips and we're lucky to have him or, you know, it happens at the time, you know, my first draft was Josh Norris and Mario Ferraro and those guys. Um, you know, we just we, we take our list and, and it's not we don't look at it as a value thing. I, I think you get your value from the development, because when you draft a guy like Ryan Merkley, then you have the ability to have Brian Marchment work with him for three years. That's where you're going to create your value add. Um, so we always look at drafts four years back because, you know, the 2017 draft, that's the draft that you're now starting to see these guys, you know, outside the top 10, of course, but you know, four years back, that's when you're starting to see a couple of these guys, not just play their first NHL game, but actually um, compete and help you win a cup. Um, so that, that's kind of how we see it. Our, our value add is through our development. Well, and you made the point earlier, Doug, that, uh, good, good drafting without uh, proper development is, is not going to get you successful and good development without good drafting is not going to help you be successful. And, you know, JD and I were talking a little bit about Ryan Merkley. Now I've watched Ryan play since he was 15 years of age. And to me, he's a perfect example where, you know, Maturity takes place in, in, in terms of understanding who you are, what you are, then being able to take the guidance and the direction from your development group, Brian Marchman in this case. Now he ends up in London with a really good coach in Dale Hunter that is uh, going to be able to put a player in a position where, okay, here's what we need from you, now go be who you are. And I think from my perspective, that's something that the San Jose Sharks do exceptionally well. No, I, I appreciate it. I mean... Shoot, if we drafted a Craig Button at 17 years old, some of the stories they would have come out, oof. Yeah, you're know. right. You're exactly right. <laughs> It'd be maybe, even worse maybe, if you drafted a J.D. Burke. Trust maybe, me on that front. Maybe a 25. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. Exactly. So, I no, I, I totally agree. And you, you've seen Merkley a ton, and, and you know exactly how it is. I really like the kid. He's a hockey rat. You know, two things for me that stood out. 
um, at, at the combine, his draft year, you know, you, you see how the guys come out, right? They come out in their group of eight, they do their drills and then they leave with Merck's. He came out, he sat on the bench with the guys. He did, he went through all of his workouts. Then after it was over, he just sat on the bench and he, and as the other groups came out, he just started talking to all the guys. Um, you know, he just likes being around hockey players. He likes being at the rink. When, when we drafted him, we drafted him in the first round. And, um, you know, most first rounders, they'll have a lot of people there and, you know, then they'll go celebrate, you know, Merck's did have quite a few people there, but he came back for day two and he sat up in our suite for rounds two through seven, right next to Mike Ricci. And he talked to him the whole time about the guys getting drafted and he was cheering for his friends and, um, you know, things like that. He's just, he's just a hockey rat who wants to be at the rink. And those are the types of guys you want to work with. And, you know, so when Brian Marchman's able to go into London all the time and, and, you know, take him out to lunch and have that relationship with the hunters and things like that. I mean, we, we bake, bake that process into our draft list in regards to what is the plan for this specific player going forward? And, you know, can it work for us? So with, with Merck's, we're very happy with him. And and one of the, the quotes that kind of stuck out for me when you took Ryan Merkley in the first round in 2018 was, I think you said that he has something that a lot of players don't. I can't find this specific quote. I couldn't find it in my prep, but I think you said something at the time to the effect of there are a lot of players who have a foundation, something on which to build. They don't have the, the natural skills and gifts that Merkley has. And it's all about developing that foundation. And I think there would be elements of the defensive uh, details to the game, things like that. Uh, how do you rate his progress in building that part of his, his game? I think I would give a lot of the, the credit actually to, uh, to Brent Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic in the sense that Merckx, when we drafted him, you know, he came out, he enjoyed his first camp and, you know, got to be around the sharks, et cetera. But the second year he stayed at uh, Brent Burns's house for three weeks and he trained with him and he got to see how he trains, how he eats, how he sleeps, his, you know, his regimen, et cetera. You know, it, you just want to take what, what the guy's skill level is and, and maximize it. Right. So we're not going to be able to teach Redeem Simek to, uh, to hit the way that, uh, or Ryan Merkley hit the way Redeem Simek does, but we can teach him to angle a stick the way Brent Burns does or Eric Carlson does. So you're just trying to maximize these guys' skill sets and, um, at the draft, I think what I was saying was you can't teach Merkley skill. So that's when you have to really dig in and, and learn about the kid more and see if he has what it takes to, to learn and be coachable and, uh, progress the rest of his game and, and build that foundation. And in our opinion, he did. So we're excited to have him, you know, part of our future and have him turn pro this year. Well, you know what's interesting to me, too, Doc, and you talk about Brett Burns. So here's Brett Burns, a first-round draft pick, you know, forward, play defense, be a winger. What is he? Oh, he doesn't do this very well. And then, like, I know talking to your dad a few years back, he finally just said, this guy does things on the blue line. Let's let him be, let's let him be who he is. And, and yeah. he, becomes, he becomes this brilliant defenseman. Why do we not let players be who they are? Why do we want to kind of put them in straight jackets? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. And, and again, for us, it, it comes from Doug and, and Joe, Will and Berkey, where we just try and get players and let them be themselves within a team structure. So it's, it's, it's that give and take, right? Like if you can do these things that our coach is asking you to, then you'll have this freedom to be the type of player you are. I mean, Bernsey and I were on a, uh, a FaceTime the other day. I, I've known Bernsey since he was, 
22, 23. And we were, you know, we've been joking around about some different things. And so I FaceTimed with him the other day and asked how he was on the ranch. He had some zebras in the background and all this stuff, but um, you know, he's, he's one of the hardest workers out there uh, his gym prep and how he sees the game. And he's always asking questions. I mean, that's what you see from some of these, you know, defensemen, cause that's what we're talking about, but you see the Giordano's and you see the Carlson's and the Burnsies. I mean, these guys get better with age just because they're hockey rats and they yeah. want to be around the game. They want to be better. And, and one last question for you here, Doug, I think Craig's Craig's running up against it. So we'll, uh, we'll let you both go here, but I just wanted to know what sort of challenges are you facing as a general manager or not a general manager, rather an assistant general manager in charge of scouting, uh, getting your prospects into situations where they might play in the midst of a pandemic with certain leagues, for example, the ones that are more gate revenue driven. Uh, it's, it's possible that they don't open up operations until January or perhaps even the spring. So what sort of challenges does that create for you as somebody trying to find uh, a place for these players to develop? Yeah, it's, um, you know, for us, we're just in a situation where we've actually drafted quite a few European players in the last few years. It, it just is what it is. That's where they fell. Um, so we actually already have three of our prospects from last year's draft. They're already playing. They're already in world junior camps. Um, Artemi Nyazev, Igor Spiridonov, they're, I mean, they've got games August 5th. And then uh, Santri Hitaka, I just watched him play uh, finish U20 last week. Um, and then our other guy, Timur Ibrahimov, he's, he's playing in TPS and they're already in camp. So I think our situation might be a little bit different. And it, it just happens to be that we, we have quite a few European players. So, you know, they're staying at home and they're playing and they're skating and every country has their own rules and regulations that they're adhering to. Um, you know, having said that, our players in San Jose, you know, we're fortunate to be one of the only teams with our NHL and AHL team that play and practice in the same facility and live in the same city. So um, I think for us, that's a competitive advantage, you know, being able to get our top prospects in right away, because even if there's not games, uh, there'll be practices and they'll have the access to the gym, things like that. So, you know, we're, we're in a pretty good spot in San Jose, fortunately for that. What a great conversation with Doug Wilson Jr., one of the better people in hockey, if you ask me. And you know what? It kind of got brought up in the conversation. There's There are a few people you see at a, a rink more often than Doug Wilson Jr. You know, he's somebody who has really put in the work. And we talk about hockey and certainly who you know goes a long way in this. And we can't shy away from that. He's Doug Wilson's kid. But you look at his track record. This is somebody who has started from the bottom, worked his way up, has a really progressive way of evaluating players, of looking at the game of hockey. And this is really one of the better cases of somebody who has earned every opportunity available to them, has taken those opportunities and run with them. And really, this is somebody with such a bright future in the NHL. I mean, would you be surprised, Craig, if we're seeing Doug Wilson Jr. as a GM somewhere further down the road, maybe three, four, five years time? Well, I will say definitely not. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think that he's a strong candidate to be a GM. I mean, a lot of times we want to put time frames on people. Like, you know, and I always say that there's uh, a lot more qualified people than sometimes there are jobs. And, you know, like Tommy Fitzgerald, who I thought was a real strong candidate for a number of years, you know, gets the interim job in New York, and then they finally name him as the uh, permanent GM. So, you know, do, do I think that Tommy could have been a GM five years ago? Yeah, I do. But, you know, it didn't intersect for him. And, you know, now that it has. And so I, I try to stay away from time frames, but there's no question in my mind that I think that Doug can be that. Now, certainly from my own experiences, I, I, I can 
100% relate to Doug because, you know, my father worked in the National Hockey League for a long, long time. My mother worked in the National Hockey League. So, you know, I, you know, we call, I joke about it being the family business. So, yeah, you do get opportunity. And, yes, uh, you know, because of uh, your, your relationship, uh, you know, your family relationship, you know, th- there's more doors that can be open for you. But the one thing I have learned is that if you do not earn your keep and you do not, uh, you know, show that you're capable of, you know, those opportunities uh, are not going to last. And so I think when we talk about uh, Doug, you know, it, it, it's great. He start he started out. He, he's put in the work. He continues to put in the work, and and he learns from really quality people. We hear him talk about his father. I mean, his father, uh, off in the Hall of Fame now, deservedly so. I mean, he's been a he's been one of the NHL's best GMs during his tenure. You look what he's done with the San Jose Sharks. But the people that are around him, you you, you heard you heard Doug talk about Joe Will. I worked with Joe Will with the Minnesota North Stars. You know, and Joe was another great example of somebody that started out in a different role, ended up over in San Jose, and, and has just continued to grow. Tim Burke was with uh, the New Jersey Devils, came over to San Jose, long, long uh, years of, of great experience. And Doug taps into all of those things and learns and puts in the work. And he's bright. He, he's curious. He, he's got an imagination. He's creative. And you know, it's it's no accident that, you know, you, we start to look at him as somebody that's uh, absolutely deserving of being in the conversation for uh, potential GM awards. And, and just such a good head on his shoulders, too, like uh, just from a, a more holistic perspective, like you, you listen to the way that he talks about Ryan Merkley. Right. And, and you think about this player and, and the way that he has been, I would say, almost and, and perhaps not even almost, I would just say outright unfairly maligned in some circles. And, and you listen to the way that Doug, uh, Doug Wilson Jr. talks about him. He goes, what would the scouting report on Craig Button at 18 read like? What would the scouting report on J.D. Burke read like at 18 years old? And just having that frame of mind and going, look, some of this stuff, maybe there's truth to it, maybe there isn't. But we can suss out what parts of his his mental makeup are, are valuable, what we can work with here. And he talks about he's a rink rat, somebody who is such a nerd for the game. And, and, and that to me is something we don't hear a lot. We hear a lot of the negatives, but we don't hear about somebody who is willing to put the work in with Brent Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic and the film sessions and learning how to angle players off at the defensive blue line. It's, it's really nice to hear the opposite side of that with Ryan Merkley and, and just to have the frame of mind to go, you know what? There are players who you can teach to defend. You can teach someone to make a better decision on a breakout pass. You can teach someone uh, to to better play off the puck defense, to make better reads. Somebody can get bigger. They can be more physical. What you can't teach is Ryan Merkley's skill. And I really appreciate that mindset because you look at the NHL and a lot of the times I think that there is a survivorship bias a little bit, right? Where you're going to take what might be viewed, I think, sometimes as a safe pick because then you can have an NHLer next to your name when it comes up in a meeting. But if that player can be replaced on waivers, what's the value of that draft pick, right? And you look at the the kind of philosophy that they've taken in San Jose, it kind of looks like they're a team that only swings for home runs. And I really appreciate that personally. Well, I mean, but, but, but I don't think it is just uh, that they swing for home runs because, you know... You, you, 
every organization at, at, at a different point in the draft has to evaluate a group of players. So whether you're looking at a group of players in the first round, let's take where Ryan Merkley's at, and they say, wait a sec here. We see skill. We see this uh, player that's really confident with the puck. We see this player that's intelligent. We see a rink rat. Okay, so now they say we're, we're going to celebrate these things because we, you know, when I talked earlier about developmental flaws and inherent flaws. So, you know, can you teach somebody to defend? Yeah, if they want to learn how to defend. Yeah, you can. Does everybody defend the exact same way? No. So, you know, uh, Doug talks about Brian Marchment working with Ryan Merkley. Well, Doug's. Uh, Doug understands that there's lots of different players that make up a team. And Eric Carlson is different than Brett Burns, who's different than Mark Edward Vlasic. And so when you start to look at the mix of players, what you want to do is, is get players that, you know, bring a, a real significant skill to the game. And Mark Edward Vlasic's skills are different than Eric Carlson's, but but they're equally valuable to, in, in, in the whole uh building of, of your group and how you want to play and how you want to be balanced. So when I look at Ryan Merkley and you talk about Malign, you know, at 16 years of age, he's the first overall draft pick in the OHL. Yeah, he's young, maturity at 16. Everybody at 16 isn't as mature as they're going to be at 20. But and, and it doesn't just happen at the same rate either. He was the leading scorer for a bad team. But And now you ask a player, go and play offense. So now what, what ends up happening, he goes and leads his team, a defenseman, 16-year-old defenseman leads his team in scoring. Oh, look at him, he doesn't play defense. Well, you know what? If he goes and plays defense and he doesn't produce offense, we might get to look at him while we drafted him for offense. How come he's not play, giving us the offense, right? It's almost like players get into this no-win situation. And when they're younger, J.D., I know this about the young players. They want to do everything they can to show that they're capable of doing everything. And what you have to remind the young players of is that, okay, what's your calling card? What are your strengths? What are your skills? Okay, that's what you got to be able to do. And then we're going to work on these other things. I think that Doug expressed that's how they focus on things in San Jose. So what, whether it be uh, Kanaya Zab, whether it be Josh Norris, who they traded in the Eric Carlson deal, whether it be Kevin LeBanc, whether it be Noah Gregor, whether it be Ryan Merkley, they know what they're trying to do. And they're not trying to take the same exact type of player but they're looking, and, and this is where I'll talk about your home run, what they're trying to do is give themselves the best chance. So if you if, if you're, if you're, don't understand how to make contact, you're never going to hit a home run. But if you understand the concept of making contact at the plate, your chances have significantly improved to hitting home runs. Are you always going to hit a home run when you make contact? No. But if you don't make contact, you got no chance. Yeah, and, 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 and one thing that really stuck out for me too was the way that Doug said, we treat a sixth round pick with the same importance and care that we would a first overall pick. We tailor make a development plan for every single one of our players that is unique to their skill set, unique to their projection, and we think is going to help foster their growth to make them be the best player that they can be. You know what, though? That's about all the time we've got for this episode of the Elite Prospects podcast. I wanted to thank Tim Stutzla of the Adler Mannheim uh, team in the Deutsche Elite League. I wanted to thank Doug Wilson Jr., who is the Director of Scouting in, in San Jose. And of course, I wanted to thank you as well, Craig. I think this is a great show. I think that uh, the early returns, for me anyway, have been fantastic. And I can't wait to really get this ball rolling, keep the, the guests coming, and keep putting out more episodes. It's been a lot of fun. 
it, it will continue to be fun. And, you know, one of the things that we should really be open-minded to, J.D., and I, I know you are and I am too, but, you know, when you listen to uh, uh, podcasts, if you have questions, let us know. We'll be happy to answer questions in future episodes. Yeah, that's right. You know what? If you go to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, if you drop a rating, a review, and you leave a question in there, we'll try and answer it for you. My name is J.D. Burke. He has been Craig Button. And that was the first episode of the Elite Prospects podcast.